Let's pray. Father, you've given us your word, and Lord, we're about to open your word. God, would you open our hearts and our minds to help us to hear your word and to know what it is that you are wanting to speak to us today. And Lord, would you bless this time together and meet with us with your presence here and your people together. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So you may have noticed when Ross was reading the text in Deuteronomy that uh, there's something about God destroying people, and uh, it really jumps out. It jumped out to me anyway this week when I was preparing the sermon. And um, if I'm going to be honest, maybe I'm the only Christian that's like that, but when I read a text like that, uh, that talks about God destroying people, it's like walking in a room and you hit your little toe on the side of a chair and then you remember that you have a little toe. You forgot this whole time. Uh, you remember for about two days, and then you forget again until you hit it again. And uh, texts like that seem to be uh, things that, that are really, you know, they're, they're part of the text, uh, part, part of the Bible and the Christian story, but we don't really think about it too much. And um, But it's really interesting because I, I think that's that's a fear of a lot that a lot of people have, is that God will destroy us if, if we don't... Uh, if we don't do the right thing or if we don't have the right thoughts or whatnot. Um, I, I'm reminded of, uh, of a movie that I, that I watched um, called Blue Streak. I don't know if you've seen it, but it, and a lot of movies start this way, but it starts with uh, these uh, bad guys going into a bank. They're robbing a bank. It's like 2 or 3 in the morning, and uh, it's probably a team of 10 people, and there's obviously there's the, the person who's in charge of the whole thing, and then there's all his hired hands, and they're doing all the work, and they're getting all the, the money and the diamonds into the van, and once everything's in the van, the, the, the mobster, the lead mobster, goes and he shoots everyone, all of, his hand, uh, all of his hired hands, so that he can have all the money to himself. Then he runs away. And uh, reading a text like this, it can make it sound as if, is, is God one of those mobster people, mobster types that, that will get a people for himself, that will hire a, a, a people, and then all of a sudden, he will just get rid of them, he'll destroy them. And uh, they'll do the, all the work for him, and he'll get all the glory at the end. So is, is that how God is? Um, so let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. You can turn uh, in your Bibles, and we'll start reading at verse 1. So it says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Is that right? I was, uh, yeah, I was giving you. Okay. So let's, let's just pause here for a second. Um, so what's happening here, it starts with the words, and now. So that's a, a, a word that's like a transition. There's the first three chapters that are talking about God and his people. Uh, God made a covenant with his people, and now he's leading them through the wilderness to go into the land that he promised them. And so we're at a part where Moses is, is gathered the people, and it's kind of like a timeout in, in, in like a playoff game. You're, you're timeout, you're at the end. You want to gather your troops and, and give them a word of encouragement and kind of uh, give them a new vision or renew the vision and, and say, this is, what we're, this is what we're doing, this is why we're here, this is where we're going. And this happens right before uh, Moses is going to give, again, the law that, that God gave to Moses, the gift of the people. Uh, so it's, it's, it happens right in the middle, and it's kind of summarizing what, happens, what happened before and what's going to happen. So again, let's read verse 1. 
And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. So here um, we have uh, the, the words that you may live, and the words that come right after that, that say, uh, and go in and take possession of the land. So those are two things that this text is going to develop. So first we're going to look at um, that you may live, and what, what that looks like. This is what the statutes and the rules are for. It's for Israel that they may live. Um, so essentially, the, the, what it's talking about here, the, 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 the statutes and the rules, is summarizing, it's just two words to say, the law, the law of God, the, the, the Ten Commandments, uh, which we see later in, in this uh, next chapter after that. But uh, to give an example of what that looks like, um, I got engaged not too long ago, and my fiance and I uh, thought it would be a good idea to uh, take an alpha pre-marriage course. And so we did that. And in that course, we talked about uh, expectations, commitment, communication, things like that, uh, so that we can uh, know what what we like and what we don't like, uh, what we what are our tendencies, things like that. So it's just a really good vehicle for communication, and, and so that we can understand one another before we get into uh, marriage. So so we did that because we want uh, things to go well um, in our marriage and. And uh, I think this, essentially this is what's happening here is that uh, God is going to give them the, the, the law so that they can know how to relate to him, how to relate to their God. Now, Christians and non-Christians, I think, I think it's a common thing that we fear obedience. When, when we think of the Christian faith and we think that uh, we, people who are Christians obey God's law uh, are all of a sudden going to have to become like some type of religious fanatics, uh, whether it's our inclinations they need to, to change or uh, the way that we are, our instincts that they'll have to change. And all of a sudden we're, we're going to have to start not liking or, or hating people that are different than us. Um, and maybe uh, even not liking some people of a certain uh, social group or, or, or religious group or ethnic group or whatnot. Um, and um, is that really what, what it's moving us toward? Is that what God's law, obedience to God's law, is going to make us do? Well, here's the first point. So, Andrew, if you can put up the first point. God's salvation and moral law provide a basis for the sacredness of human life. God's salvation and moral law provide a basis for the sacredness of human life. See, the Bible teaches that God created all of humanity. And so God understands humanity. Uh, he understands us. He knows how we function. And so he gives us this, this law so that we can function at the, the, the best way possible, so that we can flourish. But a question that you might have is, but haven't Christians participated in acts of violence and hate and oppression? Like, weren't there your Christian uh, Nazis that were soldiers working for, for the Nazi group and uh, weren't there Christian slave owners um, who um, who participated in the slave trade? And what about even like the, the, the Irish and the, uh, the Irish Protestants and Catholics who are always fighting? Like, isn't that what, what Christians do? Isn't that what obeying God's law does to people? Well, these are human problems that we run to uh, when we abandon God's ways. Um, so if we're going to look in these instances, it's not because they followed God's, law, God's laws. It's because their humanity came out. Their, their sinful instincts 
came out. And uh, it's, it's not because we're part of a, of a religious organization that we affiliate with a certain uh, denomination that, that makes us right with God. So what does that look like? What does that uh, walking with God look like? Uh, let's look at verse 2 here in chapter 4. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. See, here he's talking about not adding words, not removing words. And But what's wrong with adding or taking away from, from God's law? Why, why can't we just do that? I mean, um, I don't know. Like, why, why shouldn't we be able to do that if we, if we please? Um, just to give an analogy or an illustration, uh, my fiancé and I, we love uh, to eat together. It's the thing that we probably do the most. And um, so it, let's just imagine that she would invite me for dinner. She says, I'm going to make dinner for you. And uh, she asks me to bring the dessert for the evening. And uh, she asks me to bring her favorite dessert. And by this time, I know what that is. It's uh, pistachio ice cream. And uh, to be very specific, it's the PC Black Label pistachio ice cream. You should all try it. It's really good. So if she asks me to bring her favorite dessert, and I go, and I look at the, all the different variety of ice creams and, I, and the desserts at the store on my way there, but I see a different one. I see, oh, the peanut butter and caramel. Like, I kind of like this. And, uh, or maybe I see another one, which is, uh, it's mint. It's green. It, I don't know. It's, it's maybe similar. So I choose one of those two and not the pistachio ice cream. And I get there, and I bring the ice cream, and I say, hey, here's uh, the dessert. Like, we're going to have a good time, right? And uh, how do you think that's going to go? <laughs> Probably not so well, right? Um, not because she's, uh, she's, she's impatient or unkind. She's very, very kind. But because I didn't hear her word. I didn't, I didn't listen to what she said. Um, she gave me her word. It was clear. But I did something else. And so what I did is that I projected something onto her an idea that, that she would like this at this time. That wasn't necessarily true. It didn't come from her. It wasn't a revelation that she gave me. And I think this is what the Bible is getting to when it talks about obeying God's word and idolatry. Is that uh, in a verse like this that tells us to not add or take away anything from God's law, um, we, uh, in that case, we are prevented from idolatry which is uh, to worship an image or an ideal of God that we've created in our own minds. And so that's why the word of God is important. So here's here's the thing. To add or to take away from God's word. Uh, If someone were to say, you know, I I think God's law, you know, it's good, but the adultery thing, like, uh, I'm actually fine with, with sleeping around with people. Um, I don't know, I, I like to do this, and I, I think God's law is not relevant. Uh, I think we're, we're past that. I think we're more modern uh, than that. We know better now. To do that is like, it's like understanding that, uh, it's, or it's like not understanding that God is the God who is infinite. The Bible makes the claim that God was not created, that God existed from all eternity. And so because he is infinite, he has all uh, knowledge. He has all his infinite knowledge about all things. And so to say or to, to God that his word is not true is to actually put us in the same lev- level as God to be, able, to be able to say, I have infinite knowledge. I know that this is actually okay when God says that it's not. And so that's a danger that we run into. 
And so failure to worship God by his word leads us to a dysfunctional relationship with God. And the Bible calls that death and destruction. And we have an example of that in verse 3. So if you look there with me in verse 3. It says, you shall, uh, sorry, uh, your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. Now in our modern context, when we read something like that, we think like, why can't God just let us do what, what we want to do? Like, like he has given us freedom, hasn't he? Like we, we can do those things, right? Um, and in the context here of the story, uh, we don't have all the details in Deuteronomy, but in, in Numbers chapter 25, we see that uh, some Israelite men had sexual relations with Moabite women. That's, that's what it's talking about here in the text. And uh, is possibly in a religious ceremony to the God of, ba- uh, the God of Baal. So already there, we, we can think of, of two commandments that were broken. But, um, but why can't God just give us freedom? Like, why does he have to, uh, to be so negative all the time? I had a conversation with a coworker uh, a little, little while back, and uh, we were just talking about Jesus. You know, we were just two uh, workers working in this little room, and we just, you know, spent hours together and in complete silence. So we started talking and whatnot. So we started talking about Jesus, and um, and I, I like I, I talk about Jesus' love and all these wonderful things. But at the same time, uh, his love only has effect if we don't actually understand his uh, his understanding of sin. So we need to understand and talk about sin and the consequences of sin. So we got at that point in the conversation, and that's when my my coworker told me, you know, Jonathan, I uh, I'm fine if you talk about the positive side of Jesus, the the, the positive uh, God who who's loving and all that. But I don't want you to talk to me about uh, the negative God, the God who's who's angry, and all that. I don't want to have that those types of conversations. It makes me uncomfortable. So uh, I wish I could tell you that you know I came back with a a good zinger and uh, was able to you know have a really good answer. I, 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 that's not really my personality. I'm not really good at having quick answers like that. But I, I thought about it later. And I wonder what, what my coworker would say if I, if I proposed something like this. You know, what, what if I uh, took your lunch and I ate your lunch? And uh, not only that, but I took your car keys after work because I really like your car. And I took your car and I went home. And then I told you, you know what? I don't want to hear the negative, angry you. I don't want to say a name, but I don't want to, I don't want that negative side of you. I just want the positive side of you. I want you to be okay with what I do. See, that, that, that doesn't make sense. And, uh, that's, that's actually called stealing. And my friend would have all the rights to be angry with me. See, the Bible claims that we are made in the image of God. That we are made in His image. And being made in His image, we are made for relationship with God. So to disobey God is to take that image with all of its functions, the, the, the image that's imprinted in us, the image of his likeness, that we take that for our own purposes and our own advancement, neglecting God, pushing him away. And in this text, we see that both the men and the women who are involved in the story both sinned and fell short of the glory of God. God has so much more for them than to be degraded in, in such acts of false worship and uh, that involved um, adultery. God has so much more for them. So here's the next point. Uh, Martin, I said Andrew, you're back there. <laughs> okay, with our human abilities that reflect the image of God, we rebel against God. 
God gives us his image so that we can, like any other relationship, choose him or not. See, our love is only proven when we uh, have the choice to love God and we use that choice and these abilities that that he's given us to love him in return, to, to render thanks and praise and worship to him. So to obey God is to know life in the fullness. Now, let's just take a, a bit of an aside here. Um, I don't want to make this sound like, like if you're, if you're not a Christian and you're here today, and uh, maybe your Christian friend or family member invited you to come, I don't want to make it sound like, like Christians just have it in them to obey God. Because here it's talking about how some people did not follow God. And after that, it says that some people did follow God. And, and sometimes we can think that in the categories that, you know, this is, uh, God's moral law, um, that fits with you, but it doesn't fit with me. And we don't think in those categories. Uh, we're gonna see that a little bit further. It's not uh, because, uh, people are born in a certain way that they are inclined to worship God, so they do it. It's, it's, that's not the way it works. So we'll look at that a little bit further down. So here's, uh, my next uh, point, Martin. The law comes from God, giving us a picture of new of a new humanity not tainted by sin. The law comes from God, giving us a picture of a new humanity not tainted by sin. God gives us the Ten Commandments, the moral law, as an outline of sanity. With this law, we, we are able to see what, what God created us for, what he created us to be, and what a society uh, would look like, a society that, that flourished in his presence would look like. Kind of like a divine ideal. So, so far we, we've seen how uh, the Lord gave us his law so that we may live, like it says in verse 1. But now let's look at the second part. Uh, so we'll continue uh, here. We'll read verse 4 and then we'll continue verse 5. But you who held fast to the Lord, your God, are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. So just to pause here, in verse 4 it says, uh, you held fast to the Lord your God, but you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. And the word held fast here is the same word that is used when uh, in Genesis it talks about a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, hold fast to his wife. So it's, it's that same language there. So he, the, the, those who are still alive today is because they held fast to the Lord and his goodness. They remembered his testimony, his acts, and his word. So continuing verse 5. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. So here it's restating that the focus now is life on the land. But notice something that salvation history is not over once Israel is in the land. We'll keep reading. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all, the, all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? whenever we call upon him. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all the law that I set before you today? So here's my next point. The promised land is the place where God dwells with his redeemed people. The promised land is a place where God dwells with his redeemed people. See, all these, these, these three things that this, uh, these last three verses talk about, 
It's talking about there's going to be wisdom in the land that's perceivable by those who are outsiders. There's going to be righteousness that is not like anything that they've seen before. And there's the presence of their God. He's not a statue, but there's a presence of, of God that is alive, moving through the people. And this is quite unique to Israel. And so that's why the promised land is a place where God dwells with his redeemed people. There's uh, from Eden all the way to the new Jerusalem, there's that that flow of res- restoration of uh, in, in salvation history that, that God is trying to bring his people back into his presence. He's trying to bring reconciliation between humanity and himself so that they will be uh, with God and he will be with his people. So here it's, it's talking about wisdom. Let's look at verse uh, 6 again. It says, keep them and do them. So it's talking about keeping the law, follow the law, do it. Don't just listen, uh, but do it. Because if you don't do it, you haven't listened. So listen and do. And then for, for that will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding. When we think of wisdom, uh, Canadians tend to, to love wisdom so that it will help us to overcome something in life. Uh, it'll help us to, to pull ourselves out of our misery uh, if, we, if we're depressed or anxious. We'll, we'll read maybe a, a horoscope or uh, we'll read um, some, some type of uh, a fortune cookie. Uh, you know, I, I used to do that before as a Christian, to be honest, and um, got pretty frustrated after a while because I noticed that there's a lot of contra- contradictions in those things, but and they weren't really helpful. They just create a big burden uh, on me, but here, it, it, Canadians, I think we love, as Canadians, we love wisdom because it promises, uh, or it might promise to pull us out of our misery or grant us personal success. But here, we see that God's wisdom has redemption in view. In verse 6, we saw that God has the nations in view. So once Israel enters the land, it's not only to, to take possession of the land, to, to enjoy it for themselves, but it's actually to be witnesses to all people. And so wisdom is God's and obedience to God's law is, is God's way of, of, of uh, evangelism and mission to the world. To give a, a, an analogy or a, a story, uh, some of you might know that I became a Christian in university. And what happened in university was that um, I, I became very anxious and, and very, very depressed. There was a lot uh, on, my, on my plate, but I, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself. And... Um, I started drinking more. I started, as I said, I was reading these little pieces of wisdom that weren't good for anything. But um, I was trying to do anything that I could to, to, to escape this, this prison that I made myself. And um, but I, so, so I started looking out for, for if, there's, if there's something good, something greater, a, a crutch that actually works that I, that I could use so that I can overcome this misery that, I, that I'm into. And I saw, uh, out of all my friends and all the people that were around me uh, at that time, and uh, and even in, in my, the people at my at my school because I was in university, uh, there, out of all these people, uh, there were people who were, you know, they were really really smart, um, and they were, um, but yeah, they were really smart, but they didn't really have any joy. And there's people who just, you know, they partied, they had a lot of happiness, but they didn't really seem smart too much. So, but there was one person that really stood out to me, who had both uh, wisdom, like a self-control in, in, in his life, and joy that I've, I hadn't seen in anyone else. There was that combination, and I think that that's really what wisdom uh, is. It, that's what it looks like. 
is that there's there's a, there's a type of knowledge and there's a type of of joy mixed together. So I asked this uh, this friend who was who was my professor. I, I saw him maybe twice a week uh, in a in a small group setting. So I asked him, uh, you know, do you have time? Maybe we can talk. I I just I don't know what to do. There's there's all this you know depression in my life and I don't even know what to do about it. And so my professor said, let's go out for lunch. And we went out for lunch. And uh, so I, I asked him, you know, you know, what should I do? And he asked me to share a bit of my story. So I shared what was going on. And um, he shared with me that he had struggles too, very similar to mine. But there's one thing that's very different, is that, um, is that he knows Jesus. Um, that he shared with me Jesus. He shared with me the gospel. Uh, and, and talk to me about how Jesus is near, how Jesus, uh, when he reads the Bible, he gets to know uh, Jesus, that Jesus is talk to him, talking to him uh, through reading the Bible. And so um, I think that's how wisdom really works, is that there's an appeal that draws people uh, to a life that is redeemed and that is lived out by example. Now, Israel, in this, in this text, is supposed to be a light to the nations, and they're supposed to, to obey God's law because in, in obeying God's law, they would receive the blessing of the covenant, the Mosaic covenant. Uh, they would be able to inherit the land and have permanent security, uh, permanent uh, prosperity, and, um, and they would have eternal joy in God's presence. But here's the thing. God's law is a revelation of God's character. And that's a problem. It's a good thing, but it's a problem. Because who in Israel has God's character. Naturally, we're all sinful. So who out of this group of people would have God's character to be able to, to obey God's law perfectly and do God's law so that they could be able to enjoy the, the promises of the covenant? Well, here's the, here's the good news. That God sent his son. He sent his son to be uh, born a Jew in Israel, to be one like Israel, so that he can, uh, in his perfect character, perfect life, be able to fulfill God's law and live a life of perfect righteousness so that uh, his obedience would draw people, I'll draw all the nations. Um, some, some people here are, are Jewish. Some people here, or may, probably many people here are not Jewish. And so this, in this text, we're talking about the king of Israel who is drawing the people who are not from Israel to be a part of that commonwealth and have the blessing of God's presence. And so Jesus uh, lived a perfect life of obedience under the law given to Moses and Israel because uh, he was God in the flesh. See, God saw that it was wise to send his son uh, to uh, to live the perfect life, to die on our behalf, uh, when in, in a time and a culture and still today in a world where people build their kingdoms and their dynasties on injustice, on the blood of, of, of the opposition, on um, on oppression. And God sending his own son did not send him to, to destroy all these kingdoms of the earth. No, he, he sent his son so that his son would shed his own blood in the face of that culture and, and that uh, context of the world. And so Jesus defeated death and sin uh, in the flesh so that we could be free, to set us free, to, to, so that we can enjoy eternal life with God. And therefore the, the promises of the Mosaic Covenant would belong to Christ. And for all of us who put our faith and our trust in Jesus, uh, we can enjoy uh, that uh, promise of the covenant that Jesus will uh, come to make 
uh, a new uh, new heavens and a new earth. So here's the last point, uh, Martin. Jesus is Lord of the promised land. Jesus is Lord of the promised land and will establish the new heavens and the new earth. See, that's the Christian hope. The Christian hope is not that we can perfectly obey God's law and and fulfill uh, God and win his affection for us that way. No, the Christian faith is that Jesus has done that, that Jesus lived the perfect life, and his perfect obedience is uh, is something that, that he has done for, uh, to, to win by himself and to give to us, to share with us. So let us pray. Lord, you've, you've given us uh, your law, but even greater, you've given us your son uh, so that we can trust in him, so that we can know you in, in eternal life by faith in him. Lord, would you draw our hearts more and more um, Wherever we are, Lord, wherever we are at um, with in relation to you, Lord, would you draw our hearts even more? And would you reveal to us Jesus as more beautiful and more glorious than ever before? In Jesus' name, amen.